I did not finish my sermon last week, and so I am picking it up in the middle of a passage where the Apostle Paul is, is speaking to this church in Philippi, and he is telling them there are these people, there are these evildoers, there are these folks who are coming in, and they're trying to convince you that it's all fine and good that you've got Jesus, but you need to be circumcised. You need to do the works of the law. You need to uh, be a good person in, in order for God to accept you. And so Paul essentially castigates them. He can, not the church, but the people who are doing this. These evildoers who call themselves the circumcision. Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. And he says, no, we are the circumcision. We are the people who have the spirit of God. We are the people who are, who are walking in his ways. It's not those people. And so what we needed to hear from that is that uh, there are many people, there are other religions, there are people who claim to be within evangelical Christianity that are not Christians and that they would try to convince you that you need to add some things to your life, that you need to add some things to your faith in order to be a Christian and to live as a Christian. Now, I'm in full agreement that a Christian is somebody who walks in a sanctified way, meaning they are increasingly becoming more like Christ. That's the evidence of what it looks like to be a believer. But it is not payment for what it means to be a believer. You cannot pay for your faith. You cannot pay for that. And so Paul says, if anybody thinks that they have reasons to brag about where they've come from and what they've done, if anybody thinks that they have uh, what it takes to be a Christian, I have more. I have more things in my life. And so he walks through his resume, and he tells them all of the things that he had been a part of. Now he's a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and, and he's a Pharisee, and it's his upbringing and his pedigree and the schools that he went to. The nationality that he is, his race, all of these things. And then the things that he did, how he was perfect and how he was, or he said, he said blameless, I should say. He said, I'm blameless according to the law. He said he's a Pharisee. He said that he also persecuted the church, thinking that he was doing the right thing. He was going after God's true people, the church. And then he goes into this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he looks back on everything that he had done, and he's, he's thinking of his conversion. He's, he has in his mind, like this is what had to take place. All of the reasons that I believe that I was right before God, all of those things that told me that I'm okay and that, okay, I'm a good person, and God will accept me. All of those things, everything that has to do with that, he said, but whatever gain I had, everything that I thought was in the profit column or the asset column is now in the debit column. He's saying, I thought that this was gain to me, and really what it was, it just put me further behind. It just put me further behind. And so, who is he speaking to? Uh, primarily, Paul is speaking to religious people. He's speaking to people that go to church every day. He's speaking to, or not every day, but maybe if you do go to church every day. Uh, he's talking to people who go to church on a regular basis. They're a part of a community group. They're somebody who is really embedded in the life 
of the church in some ways. And, and in some ways, he's talking to us, and he's saying, like, if that is the measure of whether you, uh, that God will accept me as long as I'm doing this, it's loss. It's loss. It's a complete loss, he says. He says, because this is what had to happen for me. I had to look at all of the things that I thought were my, to my credit. You know what? God is going to look at me uh, kindly. He's, he's going to allow me in because of all of these things that I've done. But it's not just religious people. It's not just religious people that we're talking to. We're talking to irreligious people. We're talking to people that are kind of borderline a little bit. You know what? I don't necessarily think I need to have some type of crazy religion, this fanatical stuff that's going on. I, I believe that there's a God, and yet what? here's what I really think is that I'm a pretty good person, and so why wouldn't God accept me? I pay my taxes. I'm not involved in killing people or... Uh, what have you. I, I haven't done any of those major sins. I try to do more good than bad. I'm not really into this religious stuff, but I, I, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. And Paul says this, and what God is saying to you today, that it is nothing. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. You must come to a point where you realize that even the good things that you do are actually from sin. The good things that you do are actually from sin. As somebody who is a child of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of us have first parents. Those first parents are Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve set the pace for every single one of us. When they sinned in the garden, all of us sinned. It was as though all of us had sinned. And all of that sin was counted to us. It was counted to, to us as a debit. Before you even came out of the womb, before you were even born... What, what took place was this, is that you were counted as sinful simply because of this. You were born into Adam and Eve. You were born into that family. You were born into that man, Adam. You were born underneath him. And so as a result, what takes place is that you and I are sinful from birth. We have no righteous standing before God. And yet we continually and regularly try to say that somehow I'm righteous before God. I'm good before him. He should accept me. But maybe we don't even accept that there is a God. Maybe we, maybe we don't believe that there actually is a God. And so we make up our own rules. We make up our own uh, set of righteousness. And so we can look down our nose at other people that we say, you know what, you're a racist or you're a bigot. Or you're this, or you're, you're that, or wh whatever it is that you would want to say. You've created your own morality. Let me ask you something. Who gave you that morality? Where did you get it from? How do you know that it's true? How do you know that that is the standard of judgment? I'll tell you this, that you and I believe that we have become God in so many ways. We believe that we are God. We believe that we can create our own moral standard. We believe that somehow we can tell God what's up. We believe that we can define what is goodness and what is righteous and what is justice. But the truth is, is that we have no clue. We continually do the things that our first parents did, which is to say, to question God, to say that you have no business telling me what, uh, how, how things should go. And so I'm going to go on and do my own thing. We do this, religious, irreligious, alike. Every single one of us on some level. Paul looks at all of this. He looks at everything in his life. He looks at everything as, as a, a fairly good morally, person, uh, morally good person, I should say. 
He is somebody who says, I look at my life and I say, it's all a loss. Now, this is what he had to do in order to come into relationship with God. He had to take uh, a look at his entire life. He had to process all of it. And he needed to look at everything that was behind him. And he needed to be able to look at that realistically. And he had to look at it and he had to understand where he stands in relation to God. And he had to. He must. And you must if you're going to be a Christian. If you're going to have relationship with God. If you will be saved. You must look at everything prior to Christ and say, but whatever I had, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. It's not just a loss, though. It is for the sake of Christ. It's for the sake of Christ. It's because of Christ. It's because of Him. So what must come as a result of that? There must be a recognition of Jesus as Lord and Messiah. There must be recognition that Jesus is God in the flesh. That he is God in the flesh, the Son of God, who is the ruling and reigning one. You must understand that he is in charge. It's not just a recognition that I have sin. It's not just a recognition that I've, that I've uh, done bad things. It's not just a recognition that even my good things are bad. It is beyond that. It's beyond that. It's not just that, but it is because of Christ. It's because of Christ. Now, this happened on the road to Damascus for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Damascus. He is on his way to persecute additional people uh, from the church. Now, Paul was a religious person. He's a Jew. And so he feels like he's doing the right thing. He believes that he is cleansing Israel of these evildoers. He does not understand that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He doesn't, he doesn't believe this, but he's on his way, and he, he's thinking about all of this righteousness that he has. He's on a righteous mission to kill more Christians in the name of God. He believes that this is the right thing for him to do, but then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him. Jesus appears to him. How many of us would like to have a conversion experience like that? Where you, you say all of a sudden, like Jesus, like, he just like showed up. He's in my bedroom. And all of a sudden, he's like, Matt, Matt, why are you persecuting me? What's wrong with you? And I'd be like, yes, Jesus. That would be so fantastic. But this was Paul's experience. And his experience happened in this way. Jesus tells him, you are persecuting me. Or why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you sinning against me? And so Paul asks, who are you? And Jesus responds and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. <coughs> so Paul responds It's in the later chapters of the book of Acts. And he says, what should I do? What should I do? And so Jesus tells him what he should do, and Paul obeys and he follows. Now, that's, it's, it's such a brief conversion experience. 
Many of us don't have conversion experiences like that. It happens in different ways for different people. It always happens through Jesus. Some people know exactly when that was, and some people don't. And I think that's okay. I know it's okay. But Paul's experience was in this way, and it shows us something. It shows a recognition that all that he thought was gain is loss. It shows that he knows that he is a sinner. It shows that he knows that he has done what's wrong. It shows that he is convicted. He's convicted. And so let me ask you this. Do you have conviction from God that your sin is truly sin? Do you, do you have a conviction in that respect? If you refuse to confess and repent, you have not come to Jesus. Let me tell you how this, how this happens. It happens in a way that, that, that says, I'm just going along with the crowd. These people are kind of like me. It's an affinity-based type relationship. It's not a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with some other people. Now, it's true. You've been, if you've been saved, you've been saved in, into a community. Not just to go to heaven, but you've been saved into a community of people, of God's people. But some of us have got in through the door, and we've never actually given our life to Christ. And the truth is, is that we've never recognized, or perhaps never fully recognized, or that, that sense of conviction, that sense of sin has left us. And so we don't have this sense of sin. We don't have this sense of conviction. We've been approving of the things that we've done. We've been approving of our lifestyle. We've been approving of the ways that we live. At one point, someone told you a lie, and that was, if you just say a prayer, you're fine. If you just say a prayer. But that prayer must be something that is true in your life. It must be something that says that this is truly the cry of my heart. The cry of my heart being that I am convicted over sin. I am somebody who needs God. I am somebody who has done what's wrong. And yet we go on and on and on into our sin continually, never actually dealing with the conviction that we need in order to sense this. Now, here's what takes place at regeneration. At regeneration, what takes place? When, when Jesus comes and he saves you, when God saves you, what happens is this, is that there is a transformation that takes place in your life. This transformation brings you from a knowledge of self-deception, of being deceived in your mind, it brings you from a, a place of utter ignorance when it comes to the things of God. It takes you from a place of saying, I am right, and I am the definition of my own righteousness. It takes you from there, and it brings you to a new place. And that new place is, by the power of the Spirit of God, what happens is that your heart is changed. Your heart is changed. In Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 18, it says, they, that is you and I prior to Christ, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, let me tell you something. I thought about preaching this. 
And I thought for a second, I don't want to offend anybody who's not a believer in here. You may have walked in and you said, I, uh, and, and you're like, I don't really agree with this whole thing. I'm just here. I'm so glad that you're here. Now I need to give you some bad news. Outward Church loves you. Jesus loves you. He showed you this on the cross. God showed his love for you. And that while you're still a sinner, Christ died for you. Why did he die for you and for me? Because we are ignorant. We are darkened in our understanding. And think about what, uh, what our culture is saying about Christians today. Think about what it's saying. We're the ignorant ones. The people who believe the Bible. How dare us believe this, these, these pages, these words, this historical book. What bigotry is involved in this that we would not agree with every sexual fantasy that our, our minds lead us to? How ignorant of us to believe that we should not be killing our children? How ignorant of us to believe that we should be caring for the poor at great expense to ourselves? How ignorant of us to believe that we, would be, that we should be taking care of the sojourner, the alien. How ignorant of us to believe these things. Do you hear what just happened there? The left and the right should be offended by this. The left and the right. The Democrat and the, and the Republican. And the Independent and whatever else you want to call yourself. There's nobody who's right. The ignorance that is in them that is... It, 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 I got to read it. The alien, because the ignorance that is in in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, what is it? It's a hardness. It's, it's a stone heart. It's a heart that is, that is unwilling to hear from God. And it's ignorant. What we have as believers in Christ is not just some way of living that's better. It's the truth it is life, we believe, but it is knowledge. It is true knowledge. You might believe that we need to check our brains at the door before we come in here and listen to some crazy pastor saying these things. Our belief is this. Everyone in this world has checked their brains at the door. In fact, we have no brains prior to Christ. It is ignorance. Be offended at the truth of Scripture. It's okay. It's okay. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss because of Christ. Because he looks at Christ and he sees that he is Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He is the one from God. He is God. He says, I'm doing this in relation to Christ. I've set aside all of my desires. I've set aside everything that I have. And I'm walking with Christ. And so he says this, indeed, I count everything as loss. You should pay attention to this. He says loss three different times and in four different ways. He says, I count it as loss, past tense. He says, I count everything as loss. And then he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I go on counting them as rubbish. I'll get to that in a second. He says, I count everything as loss. He's ramping up. He's ramping it up and he's saying, this is where I'm going with this. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's not just something that took place at one point in my life. 
It's something that is continually taking place. I'm looking at all of the good deeds done in the flesh. And I cannot look at them and say, aha, God should like me. I should get a gold star for all of my goodness. He says, I count everything as loss. All of my experiences. I've heard people talk before about they became a Christian. And they were, in, they, they were involved, just like all of us, in sin, in deep sin. And they look back on their life and they say, you know, I don't regret any of it. I'm glad I'm a Christian now, but I don't regret those choices. That Passing worth, you got you to gotta see this. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We'll come back to the knowing in a minute. But he's saying, it's not that it stayed in one place. I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I signed a card. It's not, it's not that I just got baptized. It's not just that. It's not that I counted that as loss. He says, I go on counting and what's happening, the reason why I'm doing that, the reason why I'm continually looking at my sin and I'm continually putting it down and I'm continually saying it's a loss, it's a debit, it's a liability. The reason why I do that is because of the incomparable value of knowing Christ. I, I like what the ESV says here with the surpassing worth. It's increasing. It's headed in the right direction. This is his true asset. His true asset is that he has Christ. It is a true asset. And he's saying it's continually increasing. It's increasing in value. It's growing. I'm receiving compound interest from it. It's getting better all the time. Here's where we go wrong. We don't look at our relationship with God as something that's increasing in value. We oftentimes look at an experience in the past and say that experience was fantastic. Yes, and if you and I were to talk about it, if you're truly a believer, you might look back on that time and you say, I learned so much from God. I learned so much from the Word. He spoke to me so frequently. And we, and we had this incredible relationship. But then the investment stopped. You know how I know? Because you're just like me. You're, you have human nature in you. And what we do is... We put less into that. We don't go on learning more. I was astounded as a young man how I could not figure out what the next step in Christ was. I, I don't understand what was wrong with me. I don't understand what... I'm, I'm not putting the blame on any of the churches necessarily, but what I am saying is that Christian culture does not know how to lead people from an initial agreement with the facts and perhaps receiving that by faith of Jesus Christ as the Son of God who lives a perfect life and He goes to the cross and He dies for you in your place as a substitute 
and then he's risen from the grave. There's agreement with the facts, but then there's nothing beyond that. It's not surpassing worth. It's digressing worth. It's a life that is digressing. Not into Christ, but into the world. It's a life that's continually going down, continually just sliding, backsliding. I was at a conference this last week, and the last speaker was amazing. I had never heard of him. His name was Michael Crawford. And he told this illustration of how he had uh, gotten into a cage with a tiger. That's where he started the story. I don't know why he had done this. But he got into a cage with a tiger, he and his wife. And he remembers, he remembers thinking how scared he was because the trainers were on the other end of the cage and they were feeding the tiger chicken. Well, he sat there and pet that tiger. In his mind, he's saying, the only reason why I'm not dead right now is because there's chicken on the other end of this cage, right? And he looked at the Christian life and he, and he said this. He said, I wonder, and he asked us to think about that, if we are not the tiger who's being fed chicken. Because when you look throughout the book of Acts, and you look what takes place in Jesus' church, when people become Christians, when the Spirit of God flows in and there's boldness for them to stand up in the courtyard and to to stand up and begin to preach and to, be tell, and to tell the truth. And to say to Jewish people, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. You killed God. You killed him. Think about the bravery that that takes. There's just other multiple stories. Where the Christian religion was believed to be dangerous. It was disrupting society. And people were throwing away idols and, and, and whole portions of the economy were going away because idol making was no longer a thing because so many people had come to Christ. And so people were angry because their jobs had been destroyed, their livelihood had been destroyed on a lie because the lie had become known as a lie, which was idolatry. The danger of Christianity when it comes into the world. Christians must be dangerous people. And in fact, everything that the media says about us in some ways may have some truth to it. It's dangerous, that evangelicalism. You bet it is. You know what we're coming after? Everything in this world that's that sets itself up against God. We're no longer going to sit there and eat the chicken. We're going to be those who live dangerously, who live under danger, who choose to experience the sufferings of Christ, who are okay with losing our possessions and our goods. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's my God. He's my King. He's the one who rules me. He's the one who reigns over me. He's the one who tells me what to do. He's the one I look to. He's the one I pray to. 
He's the one I'm talking to. He's the one I'm walking with. I want to know him. Christians become dangerous people when they have the truth, and it's surpassingly, increasingly becoming more and more and more and more valuable. Is Christ more valuable to you today than the day that you began? Is he that? He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, just in case you didn't get, the first ten, get it the first time, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, that's fine and good. He comes back again and he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he says, just in case you didn't get that. Just in case you didn't hear it. Just in case you didn't know it. Just in case it's not, you, you think that I'm just saying, yeah, that was kind of sinful. He says, no, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. And not only that, but I count them as trash. That relationship was trash. Because it was done in sin. All of those things that I did were trash. It's more than just trash though. If you've been around Christianity at all. For any amount of time. If you haven't. No big deal. But the word there. Some commentators describe it as an expletive. It's an expletive. He says, I count them as dung. I count them as poo. Doesn't quite have the, you know, the feel of an expletive, but I count them as crap. It's all crap. Every bit of it. I look at my life. I look at the things that I've done. I look at the things that I, that I feel like Matter in this world? I look at my accomplishments. I look at the way that I, that I feel like I have gained something in this world. And it's crap. He says every bit of it is absolute crap. And what he says is this. It's like, it's, it's so absolutely critical. That you and I hear this. It's so absolutely critical that we understand. That until you see that it's not just your sin, but it's your good deeds that are keeping you from Christ. Until you see that that is the very thing, the belief that, that you say that I'm a good person. It is the thing that's keeping you from real knowledge. It is the thing that is keeping you from real understanding. It is the thing that enables you to continue on in ignorance. Without God, without Christ, 
without real relationship with him and his church. It is the thing that keeps you from that. Without it, you cannot have relationship with God. Now, what are you to do? Paul says to Jesus, what should I do? I just realized that everything that I've been doing is wrong. I've realized that all of my efforts were for nothing. I've come to the conclusion. I've seen Jesus as Lord. How do I walk with him? How do I have relationship with him? How can this take place? And Jesus tells him where to go. This, this is what I want you to do. It's obey. It's obedience. It's, it's obedience. See, Paul thought that he was being obedient without Christ. Paul thought that he was being obedient to God. But the truth is, he had no power to do so. He had no ability to do so. You and I have no ability to do so. You know what's critical in this whole thing? is our hearts, our lives, must be regenerate. You can't be a Christian without being regenerate. But regeneration takes place in this way. It takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. Look at what Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says this. This is prophecy considering what God is going to do through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Everything done in the flesh, outside of everything that you've done in and of yourself, all of the stuff that you have thought that you accomplished through all of your abilities, all of your, all of your stuff is loss, it's trash, it's crap without the Holy Spirit. Because it's not done from a heart of flesh, it's done from a heart of stone, which we inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. It's not done out of a desire to obey God from a true heart. It's done from a heart of stone. What Ezekiel tells us here is that what you and I must have is that you and I must have a new heart. I got to have a new central system in my life that takes me from being somebody who has a hard heart I need to get rid of the heart of stone. But it's not something that I can do. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit that pierces our soul, comes into our lives, and what takes place? I get a new heart. I get... New, deepest desires. My professor was saying this 
on, on Friday. New deepest desires, values, allegiances. It, it goes from this. What takes place when you count everything as lost, you say yes to Jesus, and you ask that, that he would come into your life. And you say, I want to know you. I want to know the surpassing worth of who you are. That's a sign that God has already worked in your life. He's regenerated your heart. You can't say yes to Jesus without Jesus saying yes to you. Without Jesus working on your heart, giving you a heart of flesh. And how do you know this? You know this because you have different desires. You say, I mean, there's a lot of things I desire. You say, there's things in my life I walk around and I see and I want. There's ways that I want to act. There's things that I want to engage in that I know that are sinful. But I would say this, what are your deepest desires? Is there any conviction on your life where you say, I know that I don't want this. I know that I don't want to be a part of this. I know that this disagrees with God. And I just want to be rid of it. You can't have that without the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes in and He gives you new desires, new longings, new hopes, and a new power to obey. Look at what it says in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You are not alone. Jesus isn't looking at you saying, you know what, you keep screwing this thing up and you keep screwing this thing up and you keep screwing this up. Jesus comes at it another way. And he looks at you as an adopted child. And he says, I set my love on you. Not because you were lovely. But so that I could make you lovely. It's not because you were so beautiful. But it's because I, I know that my love is going to work amazingly in in your life, not because of anything that you do, it's just because I've set my love on you. And the thing that you and I don't learn sometimes is that we've received Jesus. We believe that He is the Son of God. We believe that He went to the cross for us. We believe that He was resurrected from the dead. And yet we're still trying to be Paul. We're still trying to make, like, God, I, I hope I can stay adopted. Can I stay in the house? God, please, will you let me be here? And what God is saying to you today, I've put my spirit in your heart, and I've taken your heart of stone, and I've given you a heart of flesh, and I've enabled you, and I've empowered you so that you can increasingly become more like me. Not so that you can wear yourself out and trying to do this in your own power, but so that you could increasingly 
become more like me in my power. God is saying to you today. Now, what does that mean? Well, that is the other half of my sermon today. And I did not finish again. (laughs) Praise be. Let's pray. And come back next week. Lord Jesus, I'm afraid that there's so many of us in in here that have created our own standard of righteousness. And God, we've repeatedly, over and over again, tried to to show you how good we are to make uh, us acceptable to you. And Lord, we do not realize that it is trash. Because we're trying to do that in our own power and not in the power of your spirit. Lord, there's some of us that have walked in here. And Lord, they may be offended. My prayer is that they would be offended by the right things. That there would truly be an offense to them that they can take into their life and say, maybe I am living in ignorance. Have I ever thought about? Have I, have I ever considered that I am the one that is living in ignorance? And that perhaps these Christians do know the truth. That the word is in this book. In this, all of these books that are in the Bible. Lord, may, may they come to a knowledge of the truth. By placing their faith in you. Their trust in you. Lord, would you do an amazing work in their lives. Would you transform them. Would they admit that you are God and that they are not would they walk with you Lord I pray that they'd tell somebody about this decision today it's in your name we pray amen